0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on
1: Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. And we hope it's a good day for you and that you are safe and well. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finlay. Get his thoughts on the dicamba issue. We'll talk about trade. We'll talk about ag aid assistance. All kinds of things coming up with the CEO of, of the American Soybean Association. Also today, an update on the Farm Progress Show. Still on, as far as we know, For September in Boone, Iowa, we'll talk with Matt Youngman, National Shows Director for Farm Progress, and see what the latest is as they prepare to have the Farm Progress Show September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Boone, Iowa. And we'll see if everything's still on schedule and what precautions are They'll be taking to have that show. We'll also talk trade issues, especially between uh, the potential of US-UK trade deal with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. A lot of things to work out there. We'll see where all that stands right now as we'll talk with Kent a little bit later on. But let's start things off today talking with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, how are you? Are you there, Todd? Okay, maybe Todd's not there yet, so uh, we'll try to get uh, him back in. And <laughs> now I think we got some of our Internet problems taken care of from yesterday. Now we have a few uh, phone issues, so we'll we'll get those worked out. Uh, today's the day we expect some kind of response from EPA on the dicamba issue as uh, they respond supposedly to the court um, ruling wanting to know why they're doing what, why EPA is doing what it's doing on the dicamba issue and just a lot of questions still remain around this a lot of confusion. I mean when EPA comes out and says uh, you can use what's on hand but you but we're still going to decertify these products and you can't use them after July 31st and you know and in the meantime other products are starting to come in question. so there are a lot of issues a lot of questions around dicamba so we are going to try to get into that uh, um, both today and tomorrow as we wait to see what epa is going to do next on this issue a lot of people kind of left in the lurch here trying to figure out how to plan for the future uh, it's been three weeks since USDA uh, started its a CFAP program, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, $16 billion in farm aid. And it looks like the department now has approved $2.9 in direct payments out of that $16 billion. So they're up to $2.9 that has been sent out. Uh, more than 220,000 farmers have received funding so far and out of out of those iowa farmers have received around 314 million that's the most of any state we look at the breakdown nebraska producers got more than 207 million followed by illinois kansas and minnesota they've each received at least 150 million as of yesterday further breakdown on cfap livestock producers have received about Half of all the money that's gone out so far, livestock uh, industry has been one of the hardest hit, of course, by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, and this is kind of a first for the livestock industry to be part of a program like this, so a lot of the money going out to... The livestock industry. We hope to get further updates on how that is going from USDA as the week goes on, but interesting numbers how that is starting to break down so far state by state, and we'll also try to break it down more by commodities as we go along as well. Lots of concerns about uh, the phase one China trade deal as President Trump talks about his feelings toward China, and of course in response to what's happened with COVID-19 and how he now looks at the trade one, uh, the phase one trade deal. And the president saying, as you know, the U.S.-China phase one trade agreement is critical to both the near and longer term success and growth of American agriculture and uh, the millions of American jobs the ag sector sustains. So but a lot of people are wondering if there's going to be a change in that now. China has made some purchases lately that's made people feel better, but uh, there's still a lot of concern about the future of U.S.-China trade conditions. Have we been talking about this for quite some time? U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer is scheduled to testify before the House Ways and Means Committee and Senate Finance Committee this week, and there'll be a lot of questions, of course, about China and. Um, We're going to talk more about that with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley, a little bit later on as well, because uh, soybeans, of course, a big, big part of all of this. So we will um, be watching that closely. And ag groups are letting the White House know how important it is to preserve the China trade deal. They are concerned that the president may change or back out, change his position, change his feelings on Uh, the trade deal because of all the controversy around COVID-19, the pandemic and uh, the relationship between the U.S. and China from that. So we'll have to watch that closely and talk a little bit more with Kent Backus coming up next with the uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association when we're talking trade and see what he has to say about that as well as they keep a close watch on the Phase 1 trade deal with China. Most people feeling China wasn't going to buy as much as the deal called for, anyway. But there was great hope that uh, they're going to get somewhat close, at least maybe back to levels before uh, all of this hit. But we'll wait and see there. As uh, as I said, some purchases lately have kind of given a little more hope that maybe uh, we are getting, uh, you know, closer to China fulfilling parts of that Phase One trade deal. Also word uh, we see on social media that the, the Sturgis bike rally for this summer, it looks like it's going to be on. So we'll be talking about that. You look at the long list of events that are being canceled, uh, whether it's state and county fairs or different events like that. That's why there's been a lot of question about the Farm Progress Show that being in Iowa and I think a lot of questions, a lot of Concerns may raised about that because of the Iowa State Fair when it announced it was going to cancel for this summer. What did that mean for the Farm Progress Show? Well, evidently it is still on, but we're going to get an update from Matt Youngman on that a little bit later on. How do you hold a major farm show like that, even outdoors, because we know a lot of people will be in close contact with each other, whether it be in tents or standing in lines or things like that. So we're going to get into that on today's show with Matt Youngman to find out, If indeed they are still holding the Farm Progress Show, how do they do it? in a safe way with all the uh, concerns around COVID-19. How do you do the social distancing and things like that? So that'll be coming up in just a bit. All right, so that's uh, kind of setting the stage. Some of the items in the news today, still waiting for the EPA news on Dicamba. We'll keep a close watch on that for you as well. But up next, let's talk trade with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He's the Senior Director for International Trade and Market Access. Any chance of getting a deal done with United Kingdom? A lot of baggage there. And what about some of the other issues with trade around the world? That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
2: Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: And we're joined now by Kent Backus, Senior Director, International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you doing these days?
1: Very good. Good to talk with you again. We haven't talked in a while. Let's talk some trade issues. Let's start with... Uh, any potential movement on a deal with the United Kingdom? I know there's a lot of baggage there. Are we making any progress?
0: <laughs> well, there, there's definitely a lot of baggage because the UK is coming out of living under this this EU mindset for 40 years, and uh, it's a brave new world now. So they're trying to uh, move away from Brussels. At the same time, uh, you've got to you've got to break this uh, this mentality that science and agriculture uh, don't work together. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, given all of the pressure that is on uh, the the British government to uh, to have rules of trade in place by the end of the year, I think we have a great opportunity ahead of us. I know that, uh, you know, Britain is currently trying to negotiate a trade deal with the European Union, uh, but simultaneously they're also negotiating with the United States. And it's very clear that uh, they, they, they definitely want to... Uh, strike a trade deal with the U.S. that's going to set them up uh, for the beginning of 2021. I just think the timing works to our advantage, and hopefully our negotiators will be successful in getting a comprehensive and extensive trade deal completed and implemented by the end of this year.
1: What's the potential of that market?
0: Well, when you look at uh, London proper, we're probably going to see a lot of opportunities there uh, for some of the higher-end restaurants. That's probably where we would start, and then work our way into Tesco and some of the the bigger grocery chains. Uh, But, you know, the U.K. is one of the the biggest uh, markets in the world, one of the biggest economies. It is a beef-eating culture, Uh, and, you know, right now there's just not a lot of competition in Britain, most of their beef is either domestically produced or it's imported from Ireland. Uh, so there's really nothing comparable to what we produce as far as the flavor profile. Uh, we have a very high-quality product. That's something that is much desired in the U.K. Uh, but I think that uh, you know, this, could, this could easily be a, uh, probably a top-ten market for us in, uh, in at least the, the first uh, five to six years. Uh, once we're able to actually get some access there. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, we, you know, we still face some pretty high tariffs. Uh, we're going to face uh, some potential quota issues. Uh, and most importantly, we're going to face some non-tariff trade barriers, uh, you know, if uh, they continue to, to use the same playbook that they've operated uh, while they've been a, a European Union nation.
1: So there's a lot of work to be done, but yet you sound optimistic that something will get worked out. And you're usually the one telling me, you know, uh, tap the brakes a little bit, don't get to, t- too far out in front on these things, but uh, you, you do sound optimistic. Well, I think,
0: I think that the, the situation is different here. Uh, you have to look at, the, for, the, for the British government, uh, They have uh, they have a very short window to negotiate a trade deal. Uh, first and foremost, they're trying to get terms of trade with the European Union uh, because they'll only continue to operate under the EU customs rules and the rules of trade until the end of this year. And then after that, you know, the all bets are off. Uh, but th- they can't really afford to, to just sever all ties with the EU. They have to find a way forward. But the EU's digging in, and the EU not going to compromise on their standards, and they have the leverage. Uh, and I think the the most important opportunity for the British and the leverage they do have is that the Americans want a trade agreement with them, and that is a that's a big piece of leverage they can use against the Europeans, but it's also an incentive. Uh, I think that President Trump and and uh, Boris Johnson definitely want to to see a trade deal uh, wrapped up. It's important that the British economy is strong. Uh, we need strong allies. Uh, in, uh, in Europe, we need successful uh, a successful global economy. Britain plays a major role in that. There's a lot of incentive to, to keep them from, from tanking. Uh, at the same time, uh, the British are going to need a lot of American goods and services. It's just a, it's a natural fit, and it's a fit that we haven't really seen in a long time. And so even though there's this European mindset that has to be overcome, I am optimistic that that we will be able to do that. We have some some top-notch negotiators that are working around the clock uh, trying to get this done. Uh, there, you know, hopefully we're going to see a trade deal that is all-encompassing, so it includes all of agriculture, and it also uh, focuses more on the similarities in our production and not highlight on the differences, like the British press is trying to do.
1: So we'll keep a close watch on that. We're talking with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Meanwhile, Kent. All eyes, as usual, when it comes to trade issues on China and concerns about the phase one trade deal and fallout over COVID-19. Does President Trump want to pull out of it? He says he looks at it differently now. How concerned are you? You know,
0: I think, uh, you know, we are part of a much bigger conversation. We're part of a, a much bigger uh, geopolitical situation uh, as far as agriculture goes. We play a very important role in that. I think, you know, when you look at beef, we're one of the biggest champions, uh, one of the biggest uh, success stories to come from the phase one China agreement. But the the administration's always been clear that, you know, uh, you know they're not going to be held hostage by China, that, uh, you know, they don't want China to uh, flex their muscles in the Pacific and bully our trade partners and our allies in the Pacific. And so, I, you know, I think this is always something that's at risk. But for us in the beef industry, we couldn't, we couldn't really ask for a better trade deal. The administration did a fantastic job getting the hormone restrictions removed, uh, working to, to get the, the beta agonists approved, uh, getting, uh, you know, all of this new access into a market that was closed to us for well over a decade. So we see a tremendous upside. We've already started to see an increase in exports, even during COVID. Uh, so we we think that you know China holds a lot of potential, but you know we have to have a you know a, a steady relationship with them. And right now it's still kind of rocky, and that's that's always a risk that we run. But the upside of the phase one agreement is, is really just something that could be a real boon for our industry. I think there's going to be a bright future for us in China. The Chinese consumers want U.S. beef. We want to be able to get it to them as quickly uh, as possible. And hopefully, you know, this is just a, a little saber rattling between leaders, and we'll be able to, to move on beyond this and really focus on the importance of that stronger economic tie between the United States and China.
1: Meanwhile, the U.S.-Japan trade deal seems to be doing very well. Yeah,
0: our, I think that when you look at our exports to both Japan and Korea, uh, those are two markets that have really just been uh, just a, a godsend for us over uh, over the last few months. Our exports have continued to be very strong. And with all of this, uh, this increased access into Japan, I think that that's really going to be one of the shining moments for us in 2020. Uh, again, we have better rules of trade, we have better tariff rates. Uh, we're in the process of, of really taking market share from our competitors. Uh, you know, if if we didn't have COVID, I think we would be seeing just a record-breaking year in in the, several of our Asian markets right now. But you know, unfortunately, COVID was a big gut punch for all of us in agriculture. But I think that we are are better positioned, to rebound strongly because we have these great terms of trade, not only in Japan, but also in China and other markets. And that's really a true testament to the administration being aggressive in, and trying to open these markets as much as possible. So we have a bright future in Asia. We just need to get through the storm that we're in right now.
1: Real quick an update on our beef sales into Mexico.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Mexico has been ravaged by uh, COVID-19 and, and it's not only hit, uh, you know, just the consumers' access to our product, but their economy has is, is really been rattled. Some of that also probably is, is due to the fact that, you know, you have such a petroleum-based economy there. And with all the ups and downs in the oil and gas sector uh, leading into all of this, uh, that certainly didn't help. But our sales have been have, have been uh, just overwhelmingly down this year in Mexico, and you know Mexico is an important market for us because uh, Mexican cons- consumers purchase a lot of the cuts that Americans find less desirable. Uh, it's been a great market for us for rounds, for tongues, for other things like that uh, that that quite frankly just don't fly off the shelves here. And so that that's been a, a bit of a ding to us, uh, you know, as far as the overall value. Uh, but you know we've made up for that in some of the Asian markets. But hopefully, you know, we will see our neighbors to the south recover quickly. Uh, And, you know, because we have that unrestricted duty-free access to Mexico, that could be a great market for us in the future.
1: All right, Kent, thank you for the update. Good to talk with you, my friend. Stay well.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Kent Backus, Senior Director, International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next, we talk with the CEO of the American Soybean Association right here on AOA. Information
0: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now
2: back to Mike Adams.
1: Good to talk with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association once again. Ryan, how are you?
2: Doing well, Mike. How are you today? Can, am I coming through okay?
1: Yeah, Very good. Thanks. Yes, you are. Hey, lots to talk about on the dicamba front. I'm sure you're hearing from soybean growers, your members uh, concerned about how this is going to play out. Yeah,
2: this is, boy, the punches just keep on coming for farmers. It's it's incredible. I I will say um, at the beginning that I, I respect there are some that love dicamba. There are some that hate dicamba. There are some that are in the middle that say, this is a technology that I may or may not want to use. And so when we approach, approach this issue, we recognize farmers are on that full spectrum. But to us as the American Soybean Association, we believe that farmers should have access to this technology and we have a regulatory system and sometimes we love to hate on epa but it is the envy of the world that we have a risk based regulatory system they look at studies they're determining whether the effects of this product are are okay for the environment or okay for humans are effective at what they're targeting and so they've gone through all of those studies they've done everything that they're supposed to do and they say, as a result of that, we're gonna give a two-year label for this dicamba. And then we have the court system that has come in in the middle of that season without the expertise, without the studies, without the, um, the understanding of what they are doing. And they have said, we, we are requiring EPA to pull this and pull this immediately. And so EPA responded to that by saying, well, h- hold on. We, okay, we, we understand that you're pulling this, But we also have the authority under law, under statute that says, if there is a product in the pipeline that has been revoked or is no longer allowed from a label standpoint, EPA has the statutory authority to allow that pipeline to clear out. And so that's what they did. And so I've given you a really big uh, thumbnail sketch in, in a condensed amount of time of what we've experienced the last two weeks, which has just been a lot of confusion in the countryside, but right now, farmers that have product and commercial applicators that have product are allowed to continue that either um, to the the date that the state has set. So, in some states, the twentieth of June or twenty fifth of June. Otherwise, EPA will allow that use through the end of
1: July. Okay, let me ask you this: Wouldn't it have been? Wouldn't it have helped if EPA? Had appealed that court decision immediately and sought a stay. I mean, if you have the science and research that you just mentioned that um, led them to approve DICAMBA in the first place, why would a court ruling change your mind about that and wind up you then you decertify those products yourself? Uh, I mean, wouldn't you say, hey, we've got the research, that's why we approved it, so we're going to stand on that and we're going to fight the the court decision?
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's a really good question, and I I don't have I don't I'm not going to pretend to have the insight into what EPA was thinking on this. Uh, I just know that their actions um, are to uh, one make sure that I, I think we have kind of three different fronts here. The first front is making sure farmers can access this um, on a continual basis, and so I'm I'm presuming here, and that we have to be really careful in that mindset that. EPA decided it was quicker that the action that they took would allow farmers to use it versus going with a court decision that may take time. So that's kind of channel one. And and to answer your question directly, I think that's, that was, I I shouldn't say that was their reasoning, but that was the decision that they made was to, uh, um, to take a regulatory action instead of a legal action to allow farmers continued use. The other part of this is that EPA hasn't said they are not taking legal action. And there's a lot of indicators right now that EPA will likely respond to, um, to the, the most recent litigation against their new regulatory decision. So the plaintiffs in this case that originally brought it up um, and, and won in court on June 3rd, then went back to court after EPA issued this new regulatory rule last week, and so EPA uh, will likely, or they're going to have the option this week if they
1: want to respond legally. Yeah, it is a nightmare. And as you said, there are a lot of differing feelings on this product out there and uh, a lot of concerns about it and a lot of supporters of it. So you got people on both sides. It just seems like we've been fighting this battle now for so long, we need some certainty, some clarity on, on this product.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And so this product, expires the label expires in december of this year so epa concurrent to everything that's going on right now they're actually already working on re-registration of this product hopefully on a long term on a five-year plus basis that would allow this label to exist so that's i think that's the certainty that people are looking for i think we've seen the dramatic improvement of application practices and and improved utilization the last two years is people uh, as farmers and applicators become better acquainted with this new formulation and and educate themselves on when to apply it, how to apply it. I think all of that is important. And I think it comes back to to grower choice. I mean, I've talked to some growers that have said, I have a weed problem and I need to have dicamba in my mix to take care of it. Likewise, if they were to lose glyphosate or if they were to lose 2,4-D or if they were to lose any other herbicide out there that was used in their package, that would create a hole. And so I think farmers having choice is really important that that we defend that.
1: And I think there's a lot of concern. Could this... uh wind up affecting other products and the chances for new products in the future. That's a big concern as well. We're talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Speaking of concern, a lot of concerns being raised about the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal, the rhetoric between the Mm -hmm. two countries uh, resulting from COVID-19. How concerned are you? Um, I I
2: think that we've been concerned since, this trade war started two years ago, and as um, we, China is making purchases of soybeans right now, and that's a good thing. Now, are we measuring that against the high water mark of 2017? Are we measuring it against what China promised to buy this year of 36.5 billion in agricultural goods? If if we're looking at either of those, we may be falling a little short right now. There's arguments that we're on track to match where we were in 2017 but china has a long way to go in purchases to meet their commitment but that was only part of the trade deal so that i mean that's a really important part trust me to to get purchases going again this year and next year that would be great and in the in the agreement it uses the term to continue that trajectory into the future and so if we look at the next this year and next year and continuing that trajectory the purchases are very important but there's also a number of systemic changes in that agreement. And in conversations we've had with USTR recently, they said there's more than 50 of them uh, of changes on the regulatory side for both China and the U.S., 55 or 57, and, and they are within half a dozen of closing out, making all of those changes. So the fact that behind the scenes, diplomatic relations on the technical level to improve trade flow is continuing that's a good sign that's a really good sign now we need to see the purchases because they need to put their money where um, where their mouth is and, and make these purchases and then stick to them so we've heard some announcements of purchases we need to see the boat loaded we need to see it go across the Pacific we need to see it unloaded in China and then we need to see China pay so when, when we see all of that um, later this year I think then we're gonna have a few hopefully we have a few more believers
1: yeah you just don't know i mean when the, the rhetoric between the two countries and we know that there's usually a separation between the rhetoric and what's actually going on on the ground but the, the rhetoric between the two does cause to make you uh, you know a little bit nervous about how this is going to work out yeah. you never know where that's going to lead to
2: You're you're right mike we just so everybody knows agriculture is important. I mean, it's important to the Chinese government, to the Chinese people. We have the product, we have extra products, we're ready to export it. They need extra product, they wanna buy it. Um, so that's, everybody knows that, that's important. The challenge is what you just referenced in this rhetoric. It's, there is no question it's a geopolitical battle right now. And China's trying to find their, their place as a, as a global superpower and the United States has held that position. So what's going on in the South China Sea? What's going on in the border between India and China? What's going on in Hong Kong? All of these areas um, make make questions between the U.S. and China relationship. And, And so what happens and how does agriculture get tucked into that? That's what's out there. So the agreement for agriculture looks good. It's trending towards good, but it could change in a split second.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we lose sight of that in agriculture. We're looking at it as, you know, how how many bushels of soybeans can we sell? And while that's important, certainly uh, it's part of a bigger picture, as you said, and some bigger issues are being uh, addressed right now and and sorting out.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's something that we continue to remind um, U.S. leaders that, Look, before all of this started, the number two export to China, the number two export was soybeans. And that was number two behind Boeing aircraft. So we were a pretty significant part of the export of U.S. goods to China. And so while we import a lot, they they want our soybeans. They need our soybeans. They need a lot of agricultural products from the United States. and, And we need to let our political leaders know that
1: agriculture is an important piece of this puzzle. Ryan, always good to talk with you. Stay well, and we'll stay in touch, okay? Sounds good, Mike. Have a great
2: week. Take care. Take Look
1: care. forward when we can get together in person again. That, that'll be nice. Yeah, Having, me too. It's been a, been a long time. All right, thanks, Ryan. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Up next, the latest on this year's Farm Progress Show, still scheduled for September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Boone, Iowa. We'll get the latest next on AOA.
0: information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on
1: agriculture now back to mike adams we're joined now by matt youngman national shows director for farm progress matt thank you for joining us how many times i wonder have you been asked is the farm progress show still going to be on this year Is it still going to happen <laughs> you probably get that a lot what, don't what? you
3: yeah, that's just kind of the standard greeting. Before people even say hello, they say are you going to have a show this year? And 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 happy to answer it because we, you know, we've been working hard on it. The last few weeks have been have, have been a challenge, but we've had some great conversations with folks in Des Moines at the State House and folks in Lincoln, Nebraska at the State House and and um, you know, the thing that separates that makes an ag trade show different than a state fair is the thing that's going to allow us to move forward this year. You know, you don't have uh, concerts and, and a lot of the things that state fairs need to have in order to have a profitable event. And the reason they can't have a profitable event this year and can't have an event then, but they can still have the livestock shows and, and the components that are like an ag trade show, like the farm progress show or Husker harvest Day. So we're, we're excited to be moving forward. You know, we kind of, we, we had a good call Friday with folks from Des Moines, uh, at, in the Iowa government, and so we, we, we put the gas down yesterday and, and are charging forward with all of our marketing efforts. And uh, we've done a survey with the growers and, and growers coming to the show is absolutely not a problem. They are excited to get out of the house and excited to have something that's a little bit normal in front of them and excited to, to come see. you know, we had an announcement yesterday from John Deere that they're going to have their X9 combine. It's going to make its its, US, its North American debut. At Farm Progress show, it'll be on display and in the field. So there's lots of cool things that we're, we're excited about and, and glad to be kind of cresting the hump and know that we can have a show going forward here. Well,
1: that's good to hear. I know there was a lot of concern when the Iowa State Fair canceled. That made people wonder, with the uh, the Farm Progress show going to be in Boone, Iowa this year? So in that same state, you made people wonder, well, what about it? But it so it sounds like things are going to go. So, how are you going to have this show and still meet social distancing and other safety requirements? Yeah, it's
3: it, it's a it's a pretty involved process. the The impact to the grower is not all that not all that significant, but you know the list of things that we've got to adjust is is pretty long. We've got an eleven page document that we released to the exhibitors with recommendations to them, but it's it's fairly common sense stuff and and walking through an exhibit full of equipment outside you know you're you're kind of self-social distance to begin with you're not you're not just shoulder to shoulder with people now places like admissions and food service and info booths and field demonstrations and a few of those places uh where people are are close up with each other those are the places that we we have to make some some changes in our operation fortunately Um, we are, we're blessed with with six, you know, with a square mile of ground to put on the show. So making the admission points wider, um, you know, putting a couple of dedicating dedicating lots next to the food stands so that people don't have to stack up tightly in line to get food. And and some of those kind of changes are fairly straightforward. Um, You know, if if we want to have, if we used to have 150 seating for 150 people in a tent, we can still have seating for 150 we've just got to put up a bigger tent and so we're we're not as wall-bound like you would have at a convention center or something so we're able to stretch out and 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 still maintain social distance and get done all the things that we want to do
1: so you're working with your exhibitors on all those issues and and precautions yeah and and it's you know we're taking a lot
3: of cues we're we're you know, we're basically, we're, we're watching everything, you know, we're, we I just read a waiver that NASCAR released this morning for people that are going to go to the, the Bristol race in July. And we're looking at Vegas and we're looking at what Disney's doing and, you know, little, little things you catch from, from each one of those, those groups as they, as they put their plans forward, you know, we're going to make the streets one way so that you're not, you're not intersecting people as you walk up and down the streets, you're all flowing in the same direction. And, and, you know, a one-way flow through the Var industries tent and and working with exhibitors so that their tents have a logical flow so that um, you know you can you can maintain your social distance while you're while you're there at the event.
1: That's interesting. I'm still, trying to get used to looking down at the signs on the floor at the grocery store to know which aisle I'm supposed to be able to go down and not be able to go down. So we'll see, we'll see how that works. And then, uh, and as you said, you're, you're doing this on, on two different fronts. I mean, you're doing it in Boone, Iowa for Farm Progress, but also Grand Island, Nebraska for Husker Harvest Days, September 15th, 16th and 17th. Yeah. And,
3: you know, we've been over, over the many years that I've worked with you, Mike, we've been trying to make the back of house stuff, the the stuff that the exhibitors touch and feel make that consistent between farm progress show and Husker harvest day so that they don't feel like they're reinventing the wheel when they go from one show to the other. So a lot of the, th- it's unfortunately a lot of the things that we're editing and adjusting, it's just a cut and paste where our, our great big farm progress show document of things to do looks a lot like our great big Husker harvest days document for, with things to do. And so You know we're we're gonna we're gonna order a bunch of signage uh and a bunch of face masks and a bunch of these things and then share them between the two shows and then you know fortunately we're part of a much bigger trade show uh organization so if we have excess there's there's a place to go with it for the the next show in the in the informa roster so um you know we're we're, the, the trade show industry is is keeping a real close eye on Farm Progress Show because since ConExpo closed in March, a day early, uh, in Vegas, it looks like Farm Progress Show is going to be the first major trade show back out of the gates as the economy starts to recover.
1: Real quick, will masks be required or will that be up to the, each person?
3: Uh, in a survey of the growers, it was very clear that if masks are required, they're not coming. So masks are not going to be required. They are recommended, and we will have them available at no charge as you enter or at the info booths, but they are not going to be mandated.
1: All right. Well, great news to hear. The show shows are still on September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, Farm Progress Show, Boone, Iowa, September 15, 16, and 17, Grand Island, Nebraska for Husker Harvest Days. Matt, thanks a lot. I know you're going to have a lot more information to get out between now and then. We look forward to talking with you and keeping people updated. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it very much. All right. Look forward to seeing you in person uh, in September. Thanks a lot. Matt Youngman, National Shows Director for Farm Progress. Again, Farm Progress Show is still on. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Be safe, everyone. Talk to you tomorrow right here on AOA.